Well, the kids aren't feeling well, and so it's all up to me. The markets have been going a bit wild lately, so I've been very curious about what has been going on. For most, we'd probably never speak about the Ukraine and money, but we can't ignore it now. We are all connected, and when talking about money, the rising cost of things, like gas, and investing, there are many things to think about and learn here. First, as we know, when we talk about the financial markets, we're talking about all the stock and bond markets that have been bouncing around since Russia invaded Ukraine. Let's remember that the markets don't like uncertainty, and there are a lot of things that aren't very certain right now. Where will we get our oil and gas for our cars? If Russia takes over Ukraine, will it take over other countries too? Will other countries be pulled into the fighting? Will China be mad if the U.S. helps Ukraine and not Russia? It just keeps going. And that uncertainty causes people to want to move their money to someplace safer than the stock market. Okay, a little bit of background. Russia is a big place with 6.6 million square miles of land. If that doesn't mean anything to you, then let me tell you, it's the largest country in the world. Yep, the world. Does that help? Well, the U.S. only has about 3.6 million square miles and is the fourth biggest after China. We can't leave out Ukraine with 233,000 square miles, which is not quite a 30th the size of Russia. But that always doesn't mean much. I wanted to know the number of people in Russia. The population takes a while to calculate, so in 2020, Russia had 146 million people. For a big place, that's not really that many people. Any idea about the U.S.? Well, we're over 330 million people, which is well over double. There's a lot of wilderness in Russia. And if you haven't heard of Siberia, maybe you should have. It's not really a vacation hotspot, and it's a region of Russia. Not the whole thing, but it's bigger. Yes, bigger than the U.S. at about 5.1 million square miles. From what I found, the most common climate in Siberia has an annual average temperature of 23 degrees Fahrenheit, with January averaging minus 13 and July, a balmy average of 63. You better keep your fuzzy gloves nearby and a lot of turtlenecks. Then we have Ukraine at about 44 million people, and that's about 30% of the population of Russia. I honestly thought it would have been a lot smaller. So it's the largest land mass, but ranks ninth most populated behind our friends in Bangladesh. But Bangladesh is ranked 94th in land mass. So that's a lot less room over there with a lot more people. So you get to know your neighbors very well since you're very close to them. So what does this all mean? With that enormous landmass, you have a lot more possibilities to have access to great resources that can be used to make or sell all kinds of things. And Russia has that. Since we spoke about Siberia, get this. It has about one-fifth of all the timber in the world. If you don't know what timber is, think trees. You know, the stuff we use to build houses, furniture, make paper, and all kinds of other stuff. It's mainly conifers. So think Christmas trees that make those cones for seeds to reproduce. But the country also has a lot more natural resources and may have more than any other country in the world. 
It may have the most natural resources anywhere with tons of oil to make gasoline for cars. Natural gas that's used to heat a lot of homes, copper, diamonds, gold, silver, and many more. Can you say that this is the stuff to make jewelry, cars, weapons, tools, construction materials for buildings, and much, much more? Russia has the raw materials to make and or supply what almost every country in the world needs to take care of its people. So, Russia invaded Ukraine, and people are getting hurt and dying. The U.S. doesn't want to see this situation for many reasons. Therefore, instead of sending our own U.S. soldiers, we've chosen to put out financial sanctions. That's a fancy way of saying we're going to try and punish them financially. As a parent, when a kid does something wrong, we may sanction them. We call it a punishment, but it's the same thing. So think punishment whenever I say sanction. For Mac and G, maybe sanction them and they don't get to watch TV. Ouch. A video game sanction means no playing. Ouch. An internet sanction means no connection to Wi-Fi. Double ouch. Or maybe no hanging out with their friends. Sanction that, baby. Whatever it is that hurts or makes it painful for them is a sanction. For Russia, we're not their parents and we can't tell them what they can do. Though I know we'd like to, but we can do things that can make their life uncomfortable for sure. I didn't know that the closest portion of the U.S. is only about 2.4 miles away from Russia. Did you? It's really hard to believe. I guess there are some islands called the Diomede. And there is the big Diomede, which is in Russia, and the small Diomede, which is a part of Alaska. Isn't that crazy? And the furthest point from the U.S. all the way to the furthest point in Russia is 37,500 miles between Maine and Okhota in the eastern portion of Russia. I thought that was nuts, especially when you think about the distance around the equator is less than 25,000 miles. Okay, I seriously digress. I wanted to know more about Russia and Ukraine, and I listened to a couple of summarized books about the subject. It started to put some pieces together for me. I don't know if I got it all correct, but the USSR, which was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, had 15 total republics. One of them was the Ukraine. It started in 1922 and lasted almost 70 years until 1991. I'm not a historian, but one book spoke about the catastrophe in Chernobyl in 1986 and how that was the beginning of the end of the USSR. How could you trust your government at that point? I found that fascinating because I honestly didn't know that Chernobyl was in Ukraine. So there are definitely some very tough feelings between the two countries. Okay, so the USSR was communist, which means the government owns everything. When it fell apart, ownership was given to the people. Now, how's that work? For us, it would mean the U.S. government would have owned my home. But when it fell apart, they'd just give it to me. That's right, they just give it to me. My friend's parents lived in an apartment in Moscow when the USSR fell. That's exactly what happened. One day, they owned nothing. The next day, they own their apartment. They call this privatization. You give it to a private citizen like you and me, and it's no longer owned or operated by the government. I think of communism as the community or the government owns everything. And privatization happened with businesses too. One day, the government owned it, and the next day, the employees did. Think about what may have happened. People didn't know about owning stuff. 
Sounds crazy weird, right? But your entire life, the government just took care of you. There weren't a lot of ways to really get ahead. Things then changed, and it seemed to change overnight. So what if someone came by your apartment the day after you owned it and said, I'll give you $1,000 for your apartment. Live here until you die, then it's mine. What if you've never seen that much money in your entire life? Or how about somebody says, hey, I know you own part of this business now. How about I pay you an extra $1 per week for two years and you give me your ownership? It happened all over the place. For people struggling, a couple dollars sounded great. They didn't know any better. So the people buying got very, very rich. Plus, there were huge companies making enormous amounts of money. Do you remember those natural resources that everybody wants from around the world? Those companies now went to friends of the inner circle after the USSR fell apart. The inner circle was tight and didn't let the average person in like you and me. They chose who they let into that special club. If we're talking about natural resources, Russia has been exporting about 5 million barrels of oil a day. Yep, a day. And they also take that oil and make other stuff inside of Russia, like gasoline. They call that refining the oil. They actually refine and send out 3 million barrels of, say, gas and other stuff. Don't forget that a barrel of oil is 42 gallons. Are you starting to understand at 8 million total barrels of stuff a day that they export that that's over 330 million gallons of stuff a day? I said a day. Okay, so you have to be earning billions of dollars a day doing this. If you were part of the inner circle when things fell apart, you could be a big owner or even a small one in lots of these businesses, or you could have gotten huge contracts given to you by the government. Someone had to build the government buildings, right? Supply them with office products, furniture, and more. Hey, you need some Coca-Cola, you need some chips, whatever you needed. Someone also has to service all the computers, make weapons, clothes, manufacture bicycles, make bread, mine, and provide all kinds of stuff to the government. If you were in the inner circle or bought up a number of companies, real estate, or say natural resources, you could earn a ton of money. You could become a billionaire yourself. Are you following me so far? Hit the music because here come the oligarchs. I'm sure you've heard that word thrown around because remember those sanctions? That punishment is going to be both for Russia and the oligarchs. Okay, so what the heck is an oligarch? I had to look it up just to be sure. I thought it was just the super rich billionaires, but it's actually a term to identify a small number of people who have all the power. If you have all the power, you can get all the money and do whatever you want. In some of my readings, certain governments like a communist, totalitarian, or an absolute monarch would put all the power in the hands of a chosen few. Well, here's what happened. Some of those people in the inner circle were given those juicy, very lucrative, that means a ton of money, but had to stay out of politics. It sounds like they were told, if you want to earn a lot of money, no problem. 
but let us run things. So they did. They started businesses, accumulated awesome yachts and mansions, bought really impressive soccer teams, drove super fancy cars, and supposedly didn't get involved with politics. Others hung around Mr. Putin. Okay, if you want to hurt somebody, you have to hit them in their pocketbooks. Hurt them? Sanctions. In their pocketbooks. We talk about money, so we're going to mess with their money. But when you try to do that, you don't only hurt the very wealthy, you also hurt those who don't have much money. Like the little guy. This stuff is fascinating. And we're getting into some very interesting money stuff. So come back next week and I'll finish up this little story about Putin, money, the oligarchs, and Ukraine. See you next week for some more Money with Mac and G. Bye!